Hi, I'm Tej Singh, and welcome to Office Hours with Dorm Room Fund, where we interview some of the most successful people in startups, technology, and corporate America. Dorm Room Fund is a student-run venture capital firm backed by First Run Capital. We write seed checks of $20,000 into startups founded by fellow students. Since our founding in 2014, we've funded over 275 startups, which are now collectively worth over a billion dollars and have gone on to raise over $500 million in follow-on funding from Sequoia, Andreessen Horowitz, Excel, and others. To pitch us, go to dormroomfund.com. Enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Tate Singh and I'm joined by Rachel Jo Silver, the co-founder and CEO of Love Stories TV. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us here today. Of course, happy to do the interview. So tell us about your background. Where'd you grow up? I am from the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. It's a little suburb called Huntington Woods. And I went to Michigan State University for my undergrad and I went to American University of Paris for my master's. What'd your parents do? My father is an engineer. He owned a company that made conveyors for car plants. Almost everyone in Detroit is connected to the car industry somehow. And my mother has done lots of different things. Today, they both run together a property management company. They do a lot of investing in real estate, and then they have a company that manages those properties. Did you have any siblings? I have a brother, Jack. He did you is... often fight? Do we often fight? Or um, did you often fight? He, I think when we were little kids a little bit, but he's my best friend. He's uh, three and a half years younger than me, and, and we're really, really close. But I guess when you're three and a half years apart and you're a boy and a girl as kids, like you don't always want to do the same things. <laughs> what were uh, some of your earliest memories that you remember? Oh, wow. Let's see. I'm very, very close with my family, and we spend a lot of time in northern Michigan um, in a town called Charlevoix. That's where I got married. And we also spend time in the winter in Sarasota, Florida. I'm going on Saturday. So I have a lot of memories being with my parents and my brother and my grandparents who are recently deceased um, and my cousins in in both of those places on the water and boating and that type of thing. What were some of... uh fun adventure stories you had growing up did you any vacations that you come to mind that's really funny let's see we all went once on an alaskan cruise which felt like a big adventure we went on with that same group of people who i'm talking about my cousins and my grandparents we did a lot of traveling together and we went on an alaskan cruise and i think at the time like the adults were kind of wary about the cruise aspect you know but like when you're a kid you don't know all of the sort of things that adults are worried about with cruises with just like being trapped on a boat and like germs yeah and we went on a helicopter which I remember thinking was extremely cool I mean that whole trip was amazing what other kinds of things my parents we my dad is a big skier he lived in um, Aspen for a while when he was younger and he's a really talented skier so he used to take us on big ski trips and we went to Durango Colorado and we went to Whistler and I have a really strong memory of being like on the highest peak at Whistler and just thinking that was like the coolest place I'd ever been. So a lot of family vacations. Did you often get in trouble as a kid? No, I was a good kid. As a teenager, I got in a little bit of trouble. I think nothing that would sound very troublesome, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But my mom was like pretty strict, which I appreciate now. And even at the time respected her for. But so like I would get in trouble a lot, but they weren't actually for doing very bad things. You know, you'd like be in a car with someone else smoking and come home smelling like cigarettes and like, even if she believed me, I wasn't the one smoking, like, 
I shouldn't have been letting anyone smoke near me in the car, like that type of thing. <laughs> Did you have any nicknames growing up? Let's see. Well, my name, yeah, RJ. My name's Rachel Jo Silver, as you said, but my family calls me RJ sometimes. I guess that's the biggest one. Yeah, how would your classmates describe you as growing up? Oh, man. I was um, most involved in my high school yearbook. So that tells you a little bit about me, which wouldn't be surprising being an entrepreneur and a founder. How was that like? Because they didn't have the online digital software so you could organize it, right? Yeah, it was probably... How, how old are you? Can I ask? I'm 20. I turned 21. You're just turned 21. Ago. Okay, so I'm uh, 36. So right. So when I was in high school... So, so let me put it in context this way. I was Facebook, born in 99. 99. Okay, so Facebook um, came out when I was a sophomore. So I'm one year above Mark Zuckerberg and all those kids. And I went to- Oh, you're the, in, high, in college. In okay. college, yeah. I'm one year. I, ha, I have uh, some friends who were at Harvard with them, you know, from Birchbox who are one year ahead of them. So that's like in context, right? So I remember Facebook came out and I was in college- but we, I couldn't, when I was a sophomore, but I couldn't even get it yet because By I was school, at Michigan right? State. So we were like very low on like the list, you know what I mean? But that's for context, like how my first cell phone I got when I was a freshman in college and I actually did my, I studied abroad a few times in college and the first time I studied abroad was the summer after my freshman year, I went to Brussels for the summer and I didn't have a cell phone or a computer or internet in my like little apartment room thing that I stayed in and I have like very strong memories of like you would like wake up and you know if your friends didn't live in your building you know I would just like wake up and go like walk around and like hope I would like run into somebody which probably sounds insane to kids now and insane that you would like send your kid without a cell phone but cell phones were like new did you have the razor as uh, I we had no so I had yeah I had like a my first phone was like a flip phone and I, I remember the first time I got a text message and I was like, it was from my friend, Chris, we called him Willie, Chris Wilson. And I was like, what is this? And I remember being irritated because I thought it was going to like charge me. And then when but they I, did charge, back. yeah, it was like 10 yeah. Cents. And I was like, what is he doing? It was so weird. And he had like a laptop before we all had, when we all had desktops. So, but then my, when I really start remember texting is when I was a junior in college, I studied abroad again and I was in France like for junior spring semester, and we all had Nokias. And that's when, T do you know, like, know what T9 is? Oh my God, this is so funny. Okay, I, maybe there's one old listening to this. So, you know when you look at a phone and there's like three letters yeah, on yeah, every yeah, number, yeah, so you used to text in this times, way called yeah. T9, and you okay. would have to tap the number like one, two, or three times to get that letter. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we text, that's when I really like got into texting. It must have been frustrating, right? Text, you, you couldn't text long messages that way? No. Well, it, at the time, it wasn't frustrating. It was like so cool. It felt like very cool that you could do it. And you could like switch phones with people. You could like take your SIM card out of your Nokia and like switch Nokias with your friends. I don't think about that. Do you enough. remember that's when funny. your first keyboard phone came around and you could type entire messages quickly. Yeah, so I still had a flip phone when I first moved to New York and I my first job in New York I was um, an executive assistant, which I always recommend to people like if you can get any if you don't know what you want to do yet. You know what I mean? It's like one thing Bloomberg, if you're in, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. If you're in college and you like know what you want to do and you intern like very specifically fine, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I was the executive assistant to a CEO at a startup, Where? at a media startup. It was called Howcast Media. And Jason Liebman, who was the um, founder, co-founder, 
had been really early at associated content, which got bought by Google, which became AdSense, and then he was very early at YouTube. So he was like an amazing person to work for. And he had this insight at YouTube that how-to videos were gonna be like the future of online video. Obviously he was right, and so like instructional content. So he started Howcast. So I was his assistant. So I got to listen to all of his calls, like do all of his travel. So like in a really practical life skills way, I learned like- Did he travel first class? No, no. He did. He he would travel first class sometimes, and he would like pay for it himself. He was okay. he was very like a very cool, responsible founder. But I got to like learn on a practical level, like all the good restaurants and things to do in New York. But then also like listen to his calls and like learn about like what does a CEO do and like how does like digital media the ecosystem work. And but he gave me a uh, BlackBerry. That's where I was going with this when I started that job. And I loved the BlackBerry. And BBM was like a huge part of my life. So what was BBM? And then I had two Blackberries. It's like iMessage for Blackberries? Oh my God, I love you. You're so, so young. Yeah, yeah. So, although I remember, I used to hate that like at work when people would be like, you're so young and it irritated me. But, um, so BBM, right? So you had a full, sorry, you had a full keyboard. So you could type everything. And BBM was like, it wasn't like messaging. It was like AI. It was more like AIM. It was like, you would talk to like many people at a time. You had like a chat list kind of. It was more like group group SMS, like group SMS, but also it was like you had a list of like who was, it felt more like Mm Gchat for some reason than like texting. Mm -hmm. It was free also, right? Yeah. I think it was like iMessage where I think BBM, yeah, was free between Blackberries. And we all had two black, everyone with like a job like that. All my banker friends had two Blackberries. I had one work and home. Yeah. Okay. And I had two Blackberries. Because then there was a phase where we all got Blackberries as our personal phones also. Mm-hmm. And I used to call my brother. There was one summer where I was working as the executive assistant. And my brother, who's younger, who I mentioned, was an intern somewhere in Detroit. I don't remember. And this was before Google Maps. It was during, like, MapQuest time. And part of my job as an executive assistant was to, like, do errands around New York. I didn't know New York. I used to call my brother and ask him to look up on... MapQuest on his computer to tell me how to get somewhere and then I talked to him on the phone and he'd like direct me because we didn't have like maps yeah it's I remember so... when we used to go to golf tournaments with my mom we used to print out print Google out. maps yeah, yeah exactly if you missed an exit man how did you get that 100% right so weird thank you I remember well one I used to be, I used to get frustrated because some of my friends had it at a sms group chat and it was like 15 cents a message and like the boom 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 there's like 10 bucks, 10 yeah, bucks right there yeah um but the data plan for i had at&t it was on my parents line was one month for 300 mb yeah so that was like a, a it was a good decent plan back yeah. then and so that's now they think about it, it's only 10 mb a day which is like now like high resolution that's like one photo a day but it was like three or four or five six so searches wild. a day um so and wild. now people have like use 30 gigabytes easily a month if you're you know streaming video oh yeah 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 it was totally different i mean right i used to have like a one digital camera yeah yeah yeah. and i would like when i was in the sorority at michigan state we would take the digital camera out with us like in our little purse (laughs) yeah yeah and take photos. Do you remember one of my favorite shows is embarrassingly Gossip Girl, where somebody talked about uh, is I guess it was coming into that world where um, texting was like a really big thing. So people used to text in their. uh, Oh, totally. uh, Well, there's this thing. Have you ever heard of text from last night? No. So when I Instagram account, right? Well, now it is. So when I was at Michigan State, two friends of mine, Ben Bader and Lauren Lido, 
who are both entrepreneurs, started this thing called Text from Last Night. And you would wake up in the morning and look at all your texts from the night before because texting was still like really novel. And you would send in to them like your funniest texts from last night. And uh, and it was college, so it was all like, you know, it was like, where's my shoe? Or like, I don't know, whatever. It was much funnier than that. And then we would wake up in the morning, look at our own texts, like send in the funny ones, and then look at what was happening on text from last night. And much like Gossip Girl, because you were on a college campus, it like, you would sort of guess, you would like read some texts and you'd be like, oh, I was like at that party. Or like, oh, like, yeah, it's really funny. That we thought that was like the coolest, most fun thing. And I think they sold it. They had like a Tumblr. I think it was like on a Tumblr or it's something. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. it works like that. Yeah. yeah, but it was much like Gossip Girl in that way. Well, everybody on TV always had a sidekick. And I never knew anyone that actually had a sidekick. You know what I mean? What's like, a side, like a, um, um, a sidekick was a phone. Like Paris Hilton had one and like in Gossip oh, Girl. Yeah, type of, and they oh, opened oh, like hamburger you, style. Okay, okay. You yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? It, it, I remember some of my friends had that, yeah. Yeah, but I never knew anyone that had one, but on TV everyone had one of those. Yeah, I remember my first phone I think was the iPhone color, the color one. It was a yellow oh, backing. Wow. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, maybe it was like a 5S I think it was called. Yeah, I, I remember those. But yeah, yeah I, was my, I was in uh, middle school, seventh grade. Oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. Would you get your middle schooler, knowing uh, everything school? you know now, like when would you give your kid a I phone? I think it like it, it's also quite embarrassing if your kid doesn't have a phone and if everyone has yeah, a phone. Yeah, you don't want them to be left Seventh out. grade looking back is like, sure, in middle school, well, high school people, elementary school, I think fifth grade, no. I'm getting all my years mixed yeah. up, but I, it was a couple of years before I had my own phone and, you know, my friends, Yeah. a couple of years after them. Yeah. But I think just get it around the same time as, you know, That's nice. maybe I think middle school nowadays yeah. is like common, I think. I had a pager. Do you know what a pager is? Well, no, well, you have to call back once you get a number on the pager. So or... a pager, it's like, well, you've seen them like on doctors. Yeah. So it's like a little box and you, yeah, someone calls on the phone your pager and then their number just shows up and then you go to a payphone okay or a landline you and you call, call from, okay. right and the joke was it's not funny but like i guess drug dealers like had them because mm -hmm. they didn't want like their calls to be traced like drug dealers and like doctors but yeah. then there was like a phase where like everybody had one but yeah. there was still sort of like it was still sort of like weird. And I remember my dad got me one, like his office had like extra pagers. Yeah, yeah. And we would page each other codes like back to T9, like. Oh, you could text numbers to the pager? Text messages to the pager? Yeah, like when you called the pager, it was like, what number do you want to leave? So you would either leave the number you were calling from to get called back or you would leave like a code. So okay. like we would always do like 143, which meant I love you because I is one letter for it love is four letters yeah. and you is three letters Does that okay. makes sense like yeah. one four three yeah and so you would like text your boyfriend like you would like page your yeah, boyfriend yeah. like one, it's funny three. how you know the world has evolved since then right exactly where did you go after howcast so after howcast i went to birchbox that's how i ended up at birchbox so i what was that like starting yeah I remember, so we had this dorm room fund summit two weeks ago and okay. Haley was oh she, yeah. she was there and she talked about She's you know the, the founding story and yeah. everything it was uh, it's exciting learning about you know these iconic brands today and how they all started out years ago yeah it was like a pretty like not to sound cheesy but like I think like a pretty magical like sort of all stars aligned kind of situation right because you had like three young women who were very close friends starting a company and you know for better or worse at that stage you hire people who have the same like vision as you and who like 
like you and want to be a part of what you've built. Like that's how culture comes together. And I think sometimes as we've seen more lately, that can be like negative, like with like selection bias and things like that. But like that was like a very positive sense, you know, so they were they were creating a culture and people who were attracted to that joined. So you just had a group of like young people who all were very much working as hard as they could and very bright and and having a lot of fun and like friends too, which was really cool. And for me, you know, like I say, I went to Michigan State and I, so I like joined all these people who had all like been to Harvard and they had all done like externships like it, you know, they were part of Bain and had externed all these companies. And I was like, who are these smart people? Like, I'm going to just latch on to them. And like, now they're all like my best friends. So it was very exciting. We were growing extremely quickly. Like speaking of Michigan, like I'll never forget the day at Birchbox when, so I went to Michigan State. My husband went to University of Michigan, which the football stadium is called the Big House. And it's the biggest college football stadium in the country. A hundred thousand people can see the Big House. Very famous. And I remember the day at Birchbox when we had 100,000 subscribers and they put up a picture in dashboard of the big house and they were like, we could fill this football stadium. Like, I want to cry thinking about it. We could fill this football stadium with all the people every month who get a Birchbox. And that was like, yeah, yeah, and think about how small that is compared to now there's a million subscribers or or at the height there was a million. I don't know how many there are today. So it was amazing. And and now there's still like friends and mentors of mine now, like Haley's uh, an investor in Love Story CV. And so is is our Molly and Katya, all three of them actually. And Molly's my best friend and... Yeah, it was amazing. Really life-changing experience. Talk about, so what'd you do at Birchbox? So I was the first social media hire at Birchbox. So Birchbox launched in 2011. I joined joined January 2nd, 2012. And I remember that because it's like, I remember it was like home for Christmas. And then like I started in January. So it's easy to remember. And so a few funny things, like I didn't have an iPhone when I was interviewing. And I, so I didn't have an Instagram account. They hired me to be the head of social media at this company. I didn't have an Instagram account. So I bought Instagram myself, was new back then, right? New. 2012? Yeah. Yeah, it was new. It was and really so new. I bought myself an iPhone when I got the job. So I could get Instagram. Because Android 3GS? didn't have I don't remember, but it, Android didn't have Instagram. And I had had I had, had an Android, like a like an iPhone style Android. Which is funny. Yeah, it might have been like a Motorola or a, I think yeah. because I worked for all these Google guys, they all had Google phones, so I bought a Google phone. Okay, so that was funny. I didn't know what Pinterest was in my interview. They were like, what do you think about Pinterest? I like made something up. <laughs> and I remember, you know, Katya being like, so are you like into makeup? And like, I was definitely like into like traditionally like female lifestyle, things like that. Like I had been in a sorority. I had been like a figure skater, but like I had never bought makeup that wasn't from the drugstore. Like I didn't really know about makeup. So I got hired to be the head of social media beauty company. I didn't know what Pinterest was. I didn't have Instagram and I had never bought makeup that wasn't from like CVS. So I guess it's like fake it. Don't lie, but like fake it till you well, make I it. I love this quote where people say fake it till you get paid to fake it. Yeah, or like, or fudge it a little, you know. Yeah, what yeah. do they say? Like better to ask for forgiveness than permission or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So anyway, so I was head of social media and a lot of, there's a lot of funny things about that. Like I remember when I joined, I was head of social media, but somebody else like owned Facebook for like a long time because it was like, the, I don't know, someone on editorial. It was too and, big at that time. <laughs> no, it was just like very important. Like there, what paid Facebook didn't even exist. We were one of the only publishers using it in a smart way. And we would publish like three times a week on Facebook 
and get now tons, brands do like 10 times, a day. 10 times a day get tons of traffic so i just remember the woman who owned it was like really hesitant to like relinquish it and finally Her like after, <laughs> yeah like after i'd been there a little while i was like okay guys like i have to be in charge of facebook if i'm like running social media um why didn't you guys start posting more and more on facebook if it was driving traffic or we did, did you well we did i think that like you know i think something you asked like how would people describe me like i'm extremely i'm not risk averse like i will like do yeah. in profession definitely in my professional life maybe as i get older in my personal life i'm like becoming more of a scared cat but i'm always like let's just try it like always with everything so to your point about facebook you know they were like we're posting these three times and it's like working and i was like that's crazy like let's do more or like I'll never forget when Facebook started uploading, allowing native video, like when you could upload a video to Facebook. And this is also, we'll tell you a little bit about the times, there was someone else who like was running video when I first joined and so she was in charge of YouTube, not the social person, like that's just how things were. And she wanted to post, they were always posting YouTube links on Facebook. And I remember being like, guys, if Facebook's allowing you to upload video, they probably want us to upload video and it's going to like do better. And people were panicking. They were like, but we're not going to get any YouTube views anymore. And I was like, but like, who cares? We'll get more Facebook views. You know what I mean? Like, and that was just sort of my attitude with everything always, which I think management liked, but sometimes my peers who were my friends were like, more nervous than me to do, yeah, yeah. To do new things. But. It's it's magical, the early days of the the whole Facebook and Instagram. And oh, it's wild. Accounts like, or companies like BuzzFeed really rose to fame and they, you know, that social traffic has really kept them alive to today. And oh, yeah, it's yeah. worth like $2 billion and all started off as like a funny Facebook account, I think, or 100%. not. Yeah. And in, me, in weddings, you see it also. There's like these wedding Pinterest and Instagram accounts that like, they're not like, part of like a big company or they don't even make a lot of money but if you started the right kind of account at the right moment you could just get huge you know what yeah. i mean and it's a lot harder now it's like a lot of jerry media's accounts they started off when they were when instagram was just starting it was exactly. one of the first meme accounts and exactly. now you develop that like og exactly. name and yeah it's you have to be lucky i guess it's now the whole thing's happening with tiktok and some of these big you know influencers on tiktok you know yeah. they started maybe not too long ago and they'll have 100 million followers uh, soon our tiktok's almost as big as our instagram and we started it like a month ago wow um so it really is exploding tiktok yeah, yeah and i think social media it's a lot with timing and listen it's like the trouble is you have to be smart about where you put your attention because you don't want to invest too much in tiktok and then it disappears which like there's a high likelihood it will i mean so you know my advice to people is always like when something new is gaining traction, like you should be, if you can do it in an authentic way that makes sense for your business, you should do it and you should ride that wave. But you shouldn't like stop paying attention to some of the more legacy channels that have been around a long time. So like a good example of this is um, when Facebook Live launched, I like did a similar thing to the stories I just told you at Bird Talks. I was like, we got to do this. Like Facebook's notifying people when someone goes live. Like obviously they want us to use this, like let's ride it. And we would get like millions of simultaneous viewers when we do these Facebook lives, just like opening a Bird Talks or doing a makeup tutorial. And then it like went away as we like knew that it would, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't have like ridden that, but it would have been a mistake if we were like, we're not going to do email anymore. You know, you just have to like balance those two things. And when Facebook did their big public launch of Facebook Live, they flew out me and my colleague Juliet to be like a case study on like how brands were using it. And so like, that's always my advice to people. Like if an existing platform or a new platform is like launching a new feature, 
and you can be one of the first people to use the feature, like you're going to get earned value out of that. But right, don't like abandon other tried and true methods. Yeah, you know, I remember I interned at Cheddar a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe when it had like 40 employees or maybe less. Yeah. And so it, it, it did Facebook Live. That's how they broadcast in the beginning before I think they were on pluto tv that's the only one i did then. an interview on okay. on cheddar that i think was a facebook live once. yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it was primarily on facebook live back then now they're on every single OD, yeah. otc platform and it's mm-hmm. sold for 200 million dollars but back then so yeah it got really big because it, it went live the first they yeah they had every guest who came onto the show shared on yeah. Like, for example, like the, the brand manager at Hershey's would come on. Yeah. And Hershey's with 22 million yeah. likes on Facebook would share that exactly. video. And then everyone That's would right. get a notification from yeah. Hershey's too, I think, exactly. their page. Or, or something. It would come up on their timeline. But every one yeah. of Cheddar's followers would get to get a Cheddar's going live. And it yeah. like that really rode the wave. And it goes to show that, you know, sometimes you can build amazing companies off the back of these platforms. But 100%. you have to be careful as now a lot of these big media companies, the Facebook as you know, their algorithm obviously yeah. changes and, you know. For a company like BuzzFeed or Vice, like a tiny bit of algorithm change leads to like a 20% miss in yearly revenue. And it's like Completely. a huge thing. And your valuation goes down by $200 million. Exactly. No, it's crazy. Yeah, we yeah. have a big partnership with Snapchat and we make a lot of money from it. And we have a great relationship. They're investors in us as well. And we have a great relationship with them. But like we, even the people at Snapchat who are our advisors, like they say the same thing as we do, which is like, it's unlikely but like anything could happen like you can't Don't build a business depend- yeah. like you have to and like look what happened with things like do you remember this site the little things it was called the little things and it was like a uplifting like lifestyle content primarily for like upworthy women. i think or something like very similar to upworthy yeah, yeah. and they did they either didn't have a website at all or the website was like a minuscule part of their business and they built almost everything off of facebook and the whole thing like collapsed and it had been one of the biggest like Facebook accounts. And so you need to like, it's like great that we have this Snapchat Discover channel and we're doing hundreds of millions of views and we're making a lot of our revenue from it, but we aren't dependent on it and like need to make sure we're not and make sure that like the way we resource our company is such that like if it went away tomorrow, we wouldn't have felt like we like wasted those resources. And like, that's a really important thing, I think, particularly like at a startup. So talk about Love Stories TV. How'd you yeah. come up with the idea and then what is the company? Sure. So Love Stories TV is a video platform for wedding ideas and inspiration. We are the most fun way to plan your wedding. Um, and the way that it works is wedding videographers from all over the world upload their professionally produced wedding videos. Um, and when they do that, they tag all the data and details about the videos. So we have tens of thousands of real wedding videos on our site that are tagged with all of the businesses and styles associated with that wedding. So. You can browse and discover anything you're looking for for your wedding. If you're researching a venue, you can watch real wedding videos from the venues that you are considering or watch videos to discover a venue in the first place or a planner or a florist or a dress designer or to get vow ideas or watch all Jewish weddings or all Indian weddings. And so we're a marketplace for product services and ideas powered by video. And I got the idea from my job at Birchbox. So I got married in 2013. I had nothing to do with my own wedding. My mother planned the whole thing. I didn't go to the venue till the day of the wedding. I didn't try any of the food, like nothing. And it's not because- Well, I'm, usually people look up, you know, look forward to that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, I worked at a beauty company, obviously like I'm interested in the category, but I was really busy. It was like the height of Birchbox, but we were so busy and 
in a great way. Like I loved what I was doing. I was working all the time. Was I, your husband involved in everything? No, he wanted a wedding in the backyard. And if and and to be totally candid, which I think is important in weddings, because because cost is such a big part of it. Like my parents wanted that wedding, and they could afford to pay for it, and so we let them. And I was happy to go along with him. My husband was like. If we would have been paid for it ourselves, it would have been like in the backyard, which I also would have been fine with, you know. Yeah. But he or like a golf course. Yeah. yeah, it was on a golf course. That's okay, where we got okay, married. Okay, yeah. And so, anyhow, so I was interested in the category of weddings, but I was just like busy. And we live in New York, and we're getting married in Northern Michigan, so it logistically like didn't make sense. So anyway, I didn't hire a videographer because I recalled wedding videos to be sort of what they were like 20 years ago, like cheesy, really cheesy, kind of like a guy with a huge camera on his shoulder, like getting bright lights in people's faces. Black and white. <laughs> yeah, like you see in the movies, you know? And and so we didn't hire one. And then following the wedding, I really regretted not having a video. Like even if it had been cheesy, like you just, it goes by really quickly. You don't remember the speeches and the vows and like, it's such a blur. So that sort of feeling of regret caused me to start paying attention when I'd see other people's wedding videos primarily on Facebook. And I was like, these are amazing. Like, these aren't cheesy at all. These look like feature film trailers. Like, these filmmakers are so talented. And because of my job at Birchbox, I was like, these look like commercials for the venue and for the dress designer and for the hairstylist. I was like, you could never create a piece of content to market your products and services that's so authentic and so genuine and perfect produced by a professional, like it would cost $50,000 to $100,000 for a brand to create a four to seven minute video. And it's hard to get actors to act like yeah, they're getting totally. married. <laughs> yeah, you could never replicate that, right? And so that's where the, what the idea sparked for me. And as I dug into it, and I think this is important insight if you're thinking about starting a company, is like, you always want to think about like, who is like the niche segment of users who are underserved that you can provide value for and then think of like a rippling effect out from that, right? So for us, it was wedding, of course, brides and grooms would always welcome a better way to plan their wedding, but things existed. The Knot, Wedding Wire existed. Zolo was just getting started, Brides Magazine. It's not like there was no way to plan your wedding, but wedding videographers did not have a home. So all of the traditional um, publishers in the wedding space were very photo focused, primarily because they had been a magazine that had gone on online, Brides Magazine, Martha Stewart Weddings Magazine, that type of thing. So videographers were often like left out of the ecosystem. Like a wedding they worked on would get featured on Martha Stewart, but they wouldn't even link to the video. And um, they were all putting their videos on Vimeo. And you know, you mentioned setting time at IAC. And they were paying for Vimeo because they thought YouTube was sort of just like ugly and weird and not a place for professional videos. So they're paying to put their content on Vimeo, but there's no consumers. You know, consumers don't use Vimeo um, for entertainment in the same way that they use like YouTube. You don't go on there just to like watch videos and hang out. So they're paying to put all their content on Vimeo and no one's watching it there. They're only watching it like if they happen to come to the videographer's website or if that videographer like happens to have a big Facebook page. So by creating a destination just for video and filmmakers were so excited to have someone finally paying attention to them that even when we were really small, they were uploading tons of content because they were just so happy to have like a home. And so having that early supply allowed us then to go out and get brides and grooms and users. So that's like a piece of advice I always tell people, like if you can find an underserved segment that can be like your earliest champions, like that's, you know, I think a lot of times how you grow quickly. So what's the vision for five years from now? So yeah. anyone who wants to plan a wedding, if they want to see a 
Vera Wang dress, they can type that into your your search bar. They can see all the weddings where someone has worn that, or they can, if they want to look at venues in New Jersey, they can, you know, check out all the venues. It's basically, it's like a, I was thinking, I'm thinking like a Home Advisor or Angie's List, but for weddings. No, that's that's exactly right. I love those comparisons. What I tell people, and and that's exactly what we do. You described it perfectly. And the way um, that I describe it to people if I'm trying to be really quick is house for weddings. And the reason I use house is very specific. It's not just a marketplace for services, but also for products. So obviously you're watching wedding videos and you can say, oh, those flowers are beautiful and the florist is listed and you go book that florist or book that venue, but also the products, as you mentioned, the dresses. So like we have all the data about what shoes people are wearing, what suits they wore, what dresses they wore. So being able to browse, discover, and purchase both services and products is like a very specific offering. And we have all that data because the uploader provides it. So the wedding videographers are incentivized to provide that data because that's how they get discovered in search. So the more things you tag in your video. It's a virtuous cycle, truly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So, yep, Angie's List for Weddings. I love that. So videographers upload mainly or the bride and groom upload? Mainly videographers, though we do have, it's about 70-30. Okay. So mostly videographers, but certainly newlyweds do upload as well. And that wasn't, I think when I first, when I very first had the idea, I thought it would be the flip. I was like, oh, brides and grooms, like they want to show off their wedding. They're posting on Instagram and Facebook and they're trying to get featured. And then I had, then I stumbled upon that insight I just talked about, which is that videographers were like very underserved. And so they actually were our biggest user group. So let's wrap up with a few rapid fire questions. Sure. Okay. If you had your own talk show, who would your first three guests be? My goodness. My brother, because I think he's so funny. They could be dead or alive. So okay, so I from... can pick like, right. But my brother, because I think he's so funny. I don't know if you guys listen to um, Kate Hudson and her brother do a podcast. And, my, and uh, I always listen to it and like think of my brother. I would want to interview... Oh, this is hard and I'm going really slow. I'm going to try to go faster. Who am I like obsessed with? History is like the 50s or the, oh. you know... 1800s maybe okay okay 1700s i would want to interview um my brother i would want to interview like my grandmother's grandma my bubby who they always talk about i think it'd be so interesting to like learn more about my family and like just learn more about the world at that time from like a regular person and go famous for the i would want to interview i guess oprah obviously yeah, i mean yeah. like i'm her disciple like she's my <laughs> god like i would die to like meet oprah and talk to her what are some of your favorite shows to watch Gilmore Girls, Friends. I'm a big like rewatcher. Gilmore Girls, Friends, and I loved Handmaid's Tale. I love The Handmaid's Tale. Psycho about Handmaid's Tale. What's uh, where I interned this summer? One, the other intern, she loved that too. So, yeah, it's yeah, so it's good. Hulu, right? It's upsetting, but it's good. It's really good. What? I, yeah, I've never. It's kind of. I've never watched it. It seems kind of grim. And is it like? It, how does it get interesting though? Well, oh, it's fat. Well, the book. So it's based off of a, a book. The Handmaid's Tale, which was written like in the 80s. And I mean, it's just like fascinating, particularly like in 2020, like you could see a path, unfortunately, like to the world ending up that way. And it's just like really highlights like how quickly things can take like a scary left turn. So everyone should watch it, frankly, before the election. (laughs) When's the last time you went to the movies? Oh, my husband and I used to go to the movies so much. I had a baby in July, so we go a lot less. I think the last thing we saw was... I can't even remember. Do you like action movies? I like everything. I love like Star Wars. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. Cinematic Yeah, universe. I like that stuff. I think, 
Why can't I think of the last thing we saw? Well, the last... I, the last movies that I really wanted to see that we didn't make it to the theater for where we ended up watching the Downton Abbey movie in my living room. I wanted to, we couldn't like get it together with the baby to go see it. Hustlers, my husband was oh, like not that. interested in. And I'm dying to see Little Women. So I okay. didn't actually see those at the theater, but those are the movies I like wanted to see at the theater. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. We sincerely appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>